Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, houseplants, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And this week, I'm going to be talking to you guys all about protection magic. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, so safe. Uh, and I'm going to be continuing our like small sort of detour into growing botanical fruits that are used as culinary vegetables with a conversation about the magical and magically delicious tomatoes. And just full disclosure, I'm not at all getting into herbalism with tomatoes because just talking about how to like take care of them and grow them is a big ass topic, y'all. So if you are interested, let me know, and then maybe I'll do like a follow-up at some point to talk about a different angle, but um, that's where we're at today. And then I'm also doing a really fun deity profile on our boy Apollo. Oh my gosh, I'm actually so excited about this since we've been kind of going through all of the like Greek gods, and yes. Yeah, and I just have like a plant update that I'm super excited about, and Nick, I haven't even told you about this yet, but... Today, I was at one of the big, like, box store, like, hardware stores that shall not be named because I had to pick up some stuff that I could not get elsewhere, and I found a Philodendron Mykins, and I'm just so happy. Like, I have, they have, haven't seen them at all out here. Like, I've even called Mickey's, and they've told me to call on Wednesdays when they get their new plant shipments to see if they have any, because it's just a plant that's been really hard to find. It's still kind of rare, even though it's a Philodendron. But it has these beautiful velvety leaves, and it was only $10 for a four-inch pot of it. And yeah, it's like the cheapest I had been able to find it before, I think, was like 30 bucks on Etsy for like a smaller plant than I have. So I'm just, once in a while, big box stores do deliver in surprising ways. And this was like quite the last day of vacation surprise. And we do love that for you, so. Oh, me too. Um, But no, so... This week, I'm talking about protection magic in our ongoing in-depth coverage of the witchy basics. Uh, So I I was thinking this week we have something for all of the sort of paranoid Dale Gribble type witches out there. Uh, So, you know, before you change your name and run for the hills, let's learn about protection magic, you guys. So... (laughs) I just, I'm living for any King of the Hill reference. Uh, you know, I'm like, you know, uh, is it niche? Like, how many of our listeners are, are witches, plant enthusiasts, and King of the Hill watchers? Yeah, you got. I feel like more than we would imagine, right? That's what I'm thinking. Like, I'm hoping that maybe <laughs> uh, people come through and it turns out there's there's more overlap than, uh, than you would think. Uh, <laughs> but, so I thought a nice way to intro this segment would be to go over what I have in place around my house. And we can talk about what you have in place at your house. Uh, And also just to kind of show like what the diversity of it can be and also just go over the basics. So yeah, yeah, I think that's a great idea because Nick and I were talking before we started recording today and I, we just wanted to mention, like, we know that we've done protection amulets. Nick covered them back in December. But in our sort of, like, ongoing basic series, we thought doing a more general overview of protection magic that's not so specific would be a good, helpful thing. So yeah. we hope you guys like it. Yeah. And then also, if you do want to listen to that episode, uh, I believe we recorded it on December 4th, or it came out on December 4th. And that's the one about garlic. So Maybe go back and give that one a listen. There's a lot more good information in that episode. 
about herbs that are specifically good for protection. Uh, since it, this is more of a, a general overview, uh, that would be just a good thing to maybe brush up on. Uh, but so what I have at my house for magical protection, starting with the door sword. So Shannon, you, you have seen the door sword, right? I have indeed. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, so this is a, like a very simple homebrew spell that I have had over my front door for three years now, still going strong with the same piece of twine, I will add. Um, so it's like a small saber style sword. You know, if you ever go to a really fancy party and they open a bottle of champagne with a saber, it's like that style of sword and size. Uh, and I've scratched an uh, Othala rune into the blade of it. Um, and it's actually just like a really nice sword. Uh, I, It's got like a panther shaped, like a panther head on the end of the handle. Yeah, it's real cool. And it has what looks like uh, some kind of like Hindu writing on the blade, um, which I have not confirmed, but it looks looks very much like uh, like the kind of writing you would see uh, in in India. Uh, so my guess is my guess is Hindu, but. Yeah, maybe we should have a picture of that when we post the new episode I, so people can see it. I am here for that. Uh, so, we, but I do have the uh, Othala rune in it. We actually did mention this spell in a QWP we did about white supremacist rune appropriation because white supremacists have appropriated the Othala rune to be like a white power thing, but it's really like protect. Ugh, it's like, yeah. it's like, uh, your ancestry protection from your ancestral spirits and also just kind of representing your home in general. Uh, so sort of invoking ancestral protection is the idea there, uh, not white power. So uh, don't come after me, <laughs> but I'm digressing here. The idea with the door sword is that anyone who wants to enter my home has to pass under the sword which is on a very perilously thin piece of twine. And I will tell you, if you walked in and the twine broke and you got bonked on the head with the scabbard, I would consider that a sign and find you highly suspicious because it has been, up, yeah. it has been up for three years. If it falls on you, uh, get the fuck out. Uh, <laughs> so I do also have the cat gargoyle in my kitchen. Uh, he's, actually lived in my kitchen for like a decade now uh he's like my hearth protector uh which is you know like the kitchen is the the warm center of the home uh and he protects that for me um and i i, I have him I, he has a little tie that i made for him and uh i do take him down and clean him regularly because you should um but i also you know you, especially when I was like in lockdown in my studio apartment would take him down and get drunk with him and my haunted photograph. Um, so I also have Himalayan pink salt rocks in like every conceivable place in my room, uh, especially in front of the window because it's, you know, salt is like very protective, very purifying and we talked about this in the self-love episode where it's like, you know, it filters out negative thoughts about yourself as well, which is something I think we all struggle with. 
Uh, and that's that's pretty much all I have going on. Uh, you know, I'm I am not the Dale Gribble guy. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I I actually I I get very good vibes from my neighbors uh, around here. So not so worried. But uh, so Shannon, I know you have some uh, some some runes and or not runes sigils and and stuff on your doors that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, and I actually I do have runes too, so it's not it's not just sigils, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah. So I was just saying, you're right. Um, <laughs> I have a couple of things. So first, I know we've talked about it a few times with like, you know, certain plants. Just having them can also serve as some protection just through their properties. Well, I have a, a big ass aloe plant on my front porch, which I love, and I think brings in a lot of that good, really protective vibe, and also looks like pretty ominous as a plant, which I like, you know, it's, I don't know, it's got the big spiky teeth. So I'm like, I feel like it gives off good protection vibes. Um, But I also now am working on growing Datura up both of the front columns of my front porch, which I think is really cool. And like, Datura is really good for like, enchantment and like divination and you know just enhancing powers which we've talked about before um but there's also like some sort of i guess correlations with like concealment and invisibility work traditionally with datura as well which i feel like makes it kind of an interesting choice because i like to think that it's concealing me against people that would do us harm because when i'm blessing the house and like setting up the barriers and stuff that's really what I focus on. You know, it's just like protecting the home from people that would do it harm because I'm also not Dale Gribble. And I'm like, I don't want my protection stuff to be so locked down that like no one ever comes over. Cause I feel like that's definitely not what I'm going for. Right. Um, <laughs> but I do, I also have runes. I have like a really pretty found rock on one of my front windows that has runes underneath it that I use as some protection there and around all of my windows And my front and back doors on the porch, like both my front and back porches, I have um, like runes, different protection runes on every like edge of openings coming in and out of the house. And I do a salt line at the door. And again, it's like, that's really easy to just sort of like slide under your mat too. So you don't have to worry about like funny looks from the mailman. Um, And as far as like inside goes, something that you know, has been really important to me and really special is I actually have this brass mouse that was a gift from, well, not a gift. It was something I inherited when one of my great aunts passed away, but um, his name is Buffalo and he sits on my altar and he has a place normally like a little elevated. I have like different levels on my altar for my plants since my altar is really also kind of my indoor plant stand, which makes total sense for me magically. But I have had buffalo on my altar for like probably two or three years now. And I just did some really intentional spell work to like basically ask him if he would be a protective guardian for my space. And when I felt like the answer was yes, then, you know, doing magic and cleansing him. And like Nick said, you know, you should also keep things clean, especially if you're using them as protection because that's the least you can do. Mm, yes, um, it's 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 a respect thing. Yeah, so those are like those are some of the bigger ones. I do like cleanse regularly. I have some room sprays too that I use that have like Florida water in them. So, you know, I think for me it's usually about once a year I'll like sort of touch up the stuff outdoors, like do like redo the runes and stuff. But the other things that I have are really just 
small already like ongoing things or, you know, like plants that I take care of. So it doesn't have to be a lot of constant work either, which I think is fun. And, you know, uh, you were talking about doing uh, your smoke cleansing and stuff. And uh, one of the things I did want to mention with my like personal regime is that I'm generally uh, a huge proponent of using visualization in spells. So like I always visualize like a literal firewall when I'm smoke cleansing, just like all around the house, Uh, you know, because I'm a fire baby. Uh, yeah. So I'm like, I, I'm always, I'm always like calling on fire. Uh, like fire is my bitch. Uh, but also, you know, it's like, you know, you think of a firewall on your computer, you know, but it's like, I, and people are always like, you know, visualize like white light protecting your home when you're, when you're doing smoke cleansing. And it's like, I imagine a wall of fire because I am a dragon. So I love that because, you know, when I visualize a lot of times with like protection magic, I think about like walls of like ivy going up. And I feel like that is hilariously indicative of each of our personalities. Very much so. (laughs) Uh, But uh, and, you know, for the record, for for anyone out there who is interested, I do not smoke cleanse my haunted photograph. She has resting bitch face, but she's actually very nice. And we we love Gretchen. Uh, <laughs> Gretchen does good work. She, but the okay one one of these days we should actually talk about the haunted photograph. But today is not that day. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but so diving in, you guys. So some basic protection magic for y'all at home, starting with the tried and true classic amulets. So a little vocabulary lesson for you guys, just to start off here: amulets and talismans, right? What's the fucking difference? I'm going to tell you. Uh, (laughs) So you can carry them on your person. You can wear them as a necklace or a bracelet, typically. Uh, And so the difference here is that amulets are providing protection, while talismans typically are providing you with, like, power or strength. Uh, A a pretty big difference there. Um, Yeah. So... An amulet is for protection, and it can be as simple as your pentagram or your Celtic cross necklace, uh, if you intend it to be. You know, uh, so much of witchcraft is setting clear intentions, and that's really a no-brainer. You know, like so many Wiccans out there have pentagram pendants that they, they already wear, and, you know, like you can really get into using it as an amulet. You can cleanse it with your crystals under the moon. You can anoint them with essential oil for a boost. And this is actually one that I really like. Uh, Frankincense and cinnamon essential oils Mm. do come highly recommended for the purposes of protection. So something to kind of bring herbs into it without wearing a bundle of herbs. Not that you should worry about wearing a bundle of herbs because that can be a very good amulet as well. Um, But... Also, you know, mint, rosemary, sage for like general purification, kind of filtering out negative energy coming your way. Uh, But I, you know, I do like the cinnamon one. Like cinnamon is very Martian, very passionate. I think anything really that it like invokes Mars energy for you is going to have like a very protective energy. Oh, yeah. I And I just, I wanted to plug too, if you're going to use cinnamon oil, just be like, 
extra careful, y'all, because as you would imagine, that's one that can definitely cause skin sensitivity. Mm -hmm. So like, be sure that you're diluting it. Just be careful when you're handling Mm -hmm. it. Like, Mm -hmm. not to like mommy, you guys. And I'm sure most people already assumed that, but I felt like I just wanted to put that out I mean, there. <laughs> I mean, you know, Shannon's a Virgo. I'm a Virgo rising. We want you guys to be safe. You know, yeah, we want yeah. you guys to be safe. Um, but yeah, so we're talking amulets. Like you can easily make an herbal amulet out of juniper or cedar or fennel fronds or mugwort. Or you can put a piece of angelica root in a little pouch and wear that as well. Be careful handling Angelica because different parts of the plants are poisonous. Uh, mm, good point. See, we're just trying to keep y'all trying safe. Trying to keep y'all safe. <laughs> so, but we we literally did a whole section on herbal amulets. So I'm I'm just not gonna dig in on that one. Y'all go back. You you listen to the garlic episode. Uh, yeah. So, but that brings us to another popular option on the magical protection scene, and that's like charms and spells for around the house. So a truly classic option. Like we're talking an ancient option. Very old world, very vampire-y, but braids of onion or garlic. So, and and this is going to really mainly apply to people who grow their own onions and garlic, because when you buy it at the store, you're not getting those, the the green part, which is the part that you braid. So, uh, but, but alliums in general are very well known for their protective properties and the act of braiding them yourself allows you to like imbue them with your specific protective intentions and you kind of want to think about the things you want to be protected against and these kind of charms you can hang them by your front door uh, you can hang them in your kitchen you know kind of think like the hearth uh, but it's, you know, the 21st century, so a lot of you do not have hearth fires at home. Um, but, you know, but there's very powerful symbolism in, like, the layers of onion, like, representing the layers of protection that you're placing around your home and your loved ones. And uh, it, garlic, as well, doesn't really have the layers, but in general, very protective herb and has other protective uses besides the braiding technique. So... Um, you were talking about, you know, your aloe plant on your porch. I mean, if you do have the space, garlic is very easy to grow. Uh, it does make lovely flowers as well. Mm. Uh, and it has that protective vibe. So if you wanted to do like a row of garlic up front, uh, you know, no one's going to stop you from doing that. Yeah, that's a great call. And I, I'm growing some garlic. I'm really excited about it. I have some like... I've got some growth on it already, but uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because my garlic is kind of off to the side. Maybe I'll move it closer to like the front of my porch. You know, it's not a terrible idea. Plenty of witches out there have had good results, like growing garlic around their house for just like a very simple protection spell. And it's like, also, you can eat the garlic when you're done. I yeah, mean, like, right. also you get garlic. <laughs> I mean, you know, like that's two, that's like some two birds, one stone uh, kind of stuff there. Uh, Hell yeah. <laughs> so I would say this is one that I saw where I was like, I really want to put just a little bit of a disclaimer on here. I've seen putting a clove inside like a protection, a protective little poppet. Uh, and, and I would just say, make sure you get a really nice dry clove before you do that um you know you don't want it growing a plant or trying to grow a plant in there or um getting stinky uh stinky soggy garlic puppet not not very cool 
Ew, yeah, that, ugh. Um, no, thank you. So, yeah, don't seal it in uh, in that way. And great. And so for all you kitchen witches out there, you can also call upon the protective powers of garlic simply by visualizing like your family and your loved ones being safe and happy while you're prepping the garlic for your meal. And then you just cook with it. Like how, how you know, how much, uh, how easy is that? Uh, yeah, I love that. So very cool, very tasty. And kind of circling back around to that idea of like planting garlic or having aloe. Uh, and, you know, Shannon did kind of jump the gun on the aloe episode talking about using aloe for protection. But, you know, we'll forgive you this one time. <laughs> uh, I'm a spoiler bitch, apparently. Yeah, you know, spoiler. You, we really do need spoiler alerts uh, on, on, <laughs> on all of Shannon's segments. So, uh, <laughs> but no, so cacti in general are said to have protective properties, magically speaking. And it's really not at all hard to see why. Like, they're certainly very good at protecting themselves with all those spikes and, like, the itchy fuzz and and all of that. Uh, If you have the climate for it, adding cacti to your landscaping, like, especially around your doors and windows, would make an excellent addition to a magical protection system. Uh, I love that. And, you know, if you have windows that maybe aren't getting the best light... I did see at unnamed box store that I was at today, they've even got some pretty affordable grow lights that you don't even have to get online now. So maybe you hang like a cute little lamp over your window area that you can turn on that's a grow light. And then you can also grow whatever else you want there. But I know cacti need a lot of light and I feel like that's always people's like biggest problem with them is not being able to find it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, it's like my apartment you know, would probably get fine light if there wasn't a huge tree in front of my window. So, uh, right. How dare that tree? How dare that tree? So the same thing applies to other prickly and thorny plants as well. So for people who aren't getting the grow light, who don't live in the desert. Uh, so we're thinking like holly bushes. We're thinking thistles, which Actually, I have seen some really neat looking like ornamental thistles in people's landscaping. Uh, Oh, I know. God, thistles can be so cool looking. I love how into like alternative landscaping stuff it seems to be people are getting more and more these days. And it's like natural landscaping. I mean, I don't want to do the whole rabbit hole thing, but it's like things like that grow naturally. I mean, I... Like Oh yeah, girl, we're going to have to do some like native slash weed themed episodes. Yeah, well, and you got that that weed book. So uh, I know, I feel it coming. I know it's coming. Yeah, but, yeah. But we do love thistles. I mean, thistles are actually one of my favorite, like just wild plants. They look like alien plants, you know, and very spiky and spiny, but they make those lovely flowers. I mean, and how many times as yeah. a kid did you just tear your hands up? trying to pick thistles often i certainly certainly did as well and um blackberries blackberries are kind of like thorny little bitches uh so i yeah i actually you know i didn't see that anywhere when i was doing my research but i was like blackberries makes like a certain logical sense to me um they're also pretty easy to grow you guys so Yeah, and they're native to a lot of places. Just beware that blackberries are a plant that will try and take over. So if you don't want it to go everywhere, like, just put some, like, 
wood panels or something a few inches into the ground to make like a little barrier to keep it from spreading too far yeah and then uh, i was also thinking roses you know roses have Mm, those yes those thorns they have like a very protective energy and then you you get roses so you know two birds one stone i know i already talked about my deterra my moonflowers and it's not like a magical thing they're, I think, good for home protection for other reasons. But then you can also tell all of the people in your neighborhood, hey, just FYI, these plants are poisonous. And then it keeps strange children from running up on your porch. You know, do love that. Uh, <laughs> love that as well. Scare, you know, what? what's the good of being a witch if you can't scare small children? My thoughts, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, but also I was thinking some very dear friends of mine have a bay tree right over their front door. And honestly, I love the fuck out of that tree. It's one of my favorite, like, individual trees. Uh, and it mm. did almost die during the snowstorm. Uh, but it does have, like, a very protective aura. And I think that, I mean, it's not a thorny bitch, but I, it does have, like, a very protective vibe as well. And you can use bay for so many things in magic. Right. So. And I mean, like exactly. And it's, like, all the free bay you could possibly want. Yeah, uh, that's a really great bonus. <laughs> right. Uh, but so, another popular way to give your home some magical protection is window hangings. So, we're talking like a, a Brigid's Cross or a God's Eye hung over your door or window to like seal out negative spirits and negative energies entering your home. Uh, yeah, just please, for the love of fucking God, don't buy one of those dream catchers that white ladies sell on Etsy to use for this purpose. Yeah, no, and, and it's like I, I, <laughs> I, it's like I specifically have not mentioned dream catchers because cultural appropriation. Not cool. And also they're just fucking ugly compared to the real things. That's true. Um, anyway. But window hangings we do like, and I, I did kind of touch on this a bit into my in my intro you touched on this a bit in, in your bit of the intro but salt you guys like salt lines salt is the purifier supreme and you definitely already have some so you might as well use it uh salting in front of your windows and doors you could do it on your window sills upstairs if you have window sills and an upstairs uh it's gonna like generate that protective barrier that you're looking for uh, we when we did do the protective amulet episode, we did a little uh, DIY epi- uh, recipe for black salt, which is really good for home protection. Um, but you know, I, we're also all about like using what you can already have or easily get, and, or make on your own. So yeah, uh, totally. So what I was kind of thinking here is like, if you want to do salt lines and you feel compelled to add some like garlic or onion powder because we're talking about the very serious protective energies of garlic and onions like zhuzh it up okay like don't yeah don't feel like you're somehow cheating at witchcraft for using like commercially made herbs from your kitchen uh it's literally the 21st century so you know like let's act like it ladies like let's lean into it uh and i i would say too if you're if you're zhuzhing it up with some herbs from your kitchen Maybe just also include cayenne as one of those because cayenne will also deter like any animals that might be attracted to the other smells that you're mixing in there. So that'll just kind of like, it'll add that like, you know, preventing hexes against you, zhuzh section as well. But then it'll also like 
keep you know the squirrels from trying to find whatever tasty thing they might think you have under your doormat <laughs> right yeah yeah because i mean you don't want your doormat to smell like funyuns uh <laughs> but i mean not all the time not all the time uh but you know speaking of the 21st century you know i feel like i would probably get at least a little flack if i didn't talk about crystals for protection at least a little bit so for all of you crystal cunts out there <laughs> a a home protection spell involving stones. So basically, if you live in a house, you will want to have four stones. Four stones is actually recommended for apartment dwellers as well. It's uh, Think of four corners, four cardinal directions, okay? Uh, and we're, we're thinking either onyx or obsidian. So they do not have to be big because I know obsidian can get pricey. Uh but you put one on the outside of each corner of your house. And I would say if you live in like a weirdly shaped house or a house with a bunch of corners, you know, you could also do cardinal directions. Like I said, north, south, east, west. Um, get out your compass. If you have, I mean, you're not using it. This is the time to use it. Uh, so, and of course, apartment dwellers might need to get creative because you might not be able to put a stone at the corner of your apartment building outside. Uh, and maybe you don't want to protect your whole apartment building. So you can do it inside. Um, and I'm sure you can figure out something that works for you. And I did kind of want to uh, talk about why like the black stones are what, what we would use for protection. Uh, for me, it's like black is, is like a sacred color to witches. I mean, Wiccans especially are, you know, we're the ones who wear a lot of black when we're doing magic. It's, uh, it's, it's sort of like the idea of sacred space. So, I mean, if, if you really think about that, like your home is a sacred space to you. And like that black really signifies uh, that. Um, so finally, calling on one of our other witchy basic segments, uh, custom made protection sigil can be a great magical defense for your home. Uh, and we were thinking, like, above your doors or windows, under your welcome mat. You know, I, I actually, I should just write a book about welcome mat magic. Because I'm always, like, right? you know, like, sleep sachets and doing weird stuff with your welcome mat. Uh, but no, I, but I, <laughs> I like the idea of, like, the, the sigil because it's, like, a custom. It, it's customized, you know. A rune is not really customized. I mean, you can pick and choose different runes to put in combination with each other. And that's sort of like your custom combo of runes. But like a sigil is really something that you're like really customizing for yourself. And all of the energy that goes into that really makes the spell stronger. Uh, in my opinion. In my opinion. So, and that basically concludes my segment on magical protection. Just for funsies today, uh, you know, Shannon and I actually both have little mini QWPs on our main section. So um, I wanted to talk about the evil eye. So yes, eye imagery as a protective amulet does date back to at least the ancient Egyptian eye of Horus, which we just recently talked about. Very cool. No problems there. Okay. Uh, but witch talk and the tarot readers on Twitter have taken something that is really sort of a very minor part of witchcraft. I, 
in my opinion, it's more of a superstition than a witchcraft thing. And like really put the whole thing on steroids and made like a booming cottage industry out of it. So, I mean, you know, you see these girls acting like teens claiming that one or the other tried to curse them while like clutching their evil eye pendant. And it's like all for, for the views on Instagram you know, you're you're on your little Instagram story with your with your evil eye amulet on, like so and so tried to curse me, and it's like, I, you know, it's drama. It's like high school drama. No one's trying to curse you, hon. <laughs> I mean, that's I it's it's ludicrous. Um, and I would also say, you guys, like there is something that is decidedly unmagical feeling about magical charms that are mass produced. By the literal millions and like sold on the wish app and amazon.com also and this is kind of the reason i put this in here it was like very frustrating trying to do the research for this and like find cool information about protection magic for you guys and having to like wade through like just page after page of evil eye merch and i will literally tell you right now that a which top kids have no idea what the evil eye even is. And B, everyone and their mom is not going around giving the evil eye to people they see in public. So I would say to the, the Dale Gribbles of the world, get back into your bunker and like, for fuck's sake, let us do the actual work while you worry about the evil eye. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I, that's all I have to say about that. I'm going to step down off my soapbox and let Shannon talk about, tomatoes now hell yeah okay so i'm super excited about today's topic guys anyone who knows me uh knows how much i love tomatoes literally when i was a kid my nana would have to like watch me at the grocery store because i would like grab tomatoes from the shelf and literally like snack on them like apples and i will still like eat tomatoes basically on their own but i would highly recommend everyone try a sourdough tomato sandwich if you have not uh really all you do is take some sliced tomatoes i prefer heirloom for this purpose because they're pretty uh toast your sourdough buy it from like a local bakery if you can la witches tartine has the best bread period and then you're going to mix up your mayo, which is like what actually makes the sandwich clutch. And so you get real mayo and then you add in garlic powder, onion powder, and a healthy bit of fresh black pepper. And that's like the trick to making the best tomato sandwich is you have to like add the spices to your mayo. Anyway. May I? Yeah. Because I have, I'm just going to hop in here with my tomato tea sandwich recipe. Mm. God, I fucking love tomato sandwiches. So yes, another tomato sandwich, please. Okay, so uh, Nick's tomato sandwich. It's an, and, and this is going to be like a tea sandwich. So you're going to want really, really thin slices of like a savory tomato. You do not want to go with a sweeter tomato. Weirdly enough, I like a plum tomato for this because the size and it's like they do have a good bit of acidity to them. Um, and like a very thin, thin slice. And then you do um, cream cheese. Mm. cream cheese mixed with pesto okay thin thin slices of tomato and sunflower seeds Ooh, yum and that that is that's that's the uh the nick tomato tea sandwich so please continue but oh my god now i'm i'm like gonna have to go get the stuff to make tomato sandwiches for dinner anyway now that we've already taken a bit of a rabbit trail um although I did, like, admittedly plan to, like, talk about tomato sandwiches early in this. Um, So 
anyway, let's talk about this like beautiful, delicious tomato. Uh, it's the edible berry of the plant Solanum lycopersicum. So kind of like lycopenes in tomatoes, uh, lycopersicum. Um, the species actually originated in South and Central America, and most scholars think it was originally domesticated and brought into cultivation as a food crop by the Aztecs. So thanks again, Aztecs bringing lots of good shit over here. Um, So the Spanish came in and fucking conquered the Aztecs in the 1500s. And when they did, they brought the tomato back to Europe, which is when it was introduced sort of across the continent in the 1500s. And I think this is really interesting because I feel like the tomato has become basically synonymous with Italian food, but it actually like the tomato didn't even make it to Italy until the mid 1500s. So just enjoy that like bit of cocktail party trivia. Um, Today, though, tomatoes are grown around the world, and there are more than 10,000 varieties. And when growing them at home, you're going to be looking at one of two types, determinate or indeterminate tomatoes. Indeterminate tomatoes can like keep growing and growing and growing. They don't have a predetermined height. And so these things are amazing, and they give you like great fruit, and they'll get huge. But they're not really a manageable type of tomato for most home growers, because you need a lot of space to just like let an indeterminate plant just like go wild. Um, So these days, the majority of us are going to be working with determinate breeds that top out around six feet, or that's around 180 centimeters. But more and more, there's some really cool like development going on in like the tomato seed (laughs) arena. Um, But they're working on breeding more and more like dwarf varieties that only get to about like three feet. And now even like micro dwarfs that you could grow in like six inch pots throughout the entirety of it. And they'll produce like smallish tomatoes. So moral of the story, if you have a space at all, you could probably grow some type of tomato. Like even if you just have to adjust your expectations, of course, a micro dwarf isn't going to give you the same type of like flavor as like a five foot tall plant, but it's still going to be way better than anything store-bought. So you have, of course, the oppor- opportunity to like buy a start for the plant, but I've, I'm growing three varieties from seed this year, and it's actually been a really easy plant to go that way with. Um, so I'm going to walk through the basics of like growing from seed for you. So first, you're going to pick your seeds. And I think that there are so many fascinating like heirloom varieties. And there's a lot of really cool stories behind how different varieties actually like made it into production. Um, and I actually did just order my first catalog from Seed Saver, which is all about like preserving genetic DNA through saving heirloom seeds. So I'll keep you guys posted on that. But of course, like pick a variety that fits your uh, your space requirements. There's no shame in going with like standard tomato seeds from the big box store. Um, you're also going to want to get to a seed starting mix for these to get going in. And a seed starting mix is a bit lighter than your standard potting mix, which makes it a little bit easier for them to like push through. But seed starter mix is also sterile, which is really important in particular with tomatoes, because I think most people probably know that tomatoes are really prone to like a bunch of different like diseases and bacterial and fungal things. So you really want to make sure your seedlings have like the healthiest start possible. Um, So a lot of people also like start their seeds in a uh, in like egg cartons, but you can use just about like 
any vessel with a drainage hole. So if you're going the egg carton method, though, you're going to fill up each little egg carton space with the seed starting mix and then add like one or two seeds per cup area and then cover it lightly with the mix. Then just take a little spray bottle and mist it, get it damp before covering it with plastic wrap. And at this stage, you actually don't need light because the seeds are covered by the soil, right? So for germination, all you really need is warmth. So you can just put them like on top of the fridge or on a counter, maybe in like your laundry room, somewhere that gets warmed up. Um, And I also heard this like great recommendation from Craig LaHoulier, who uh, Craig LaHoulier is basically like a god in the tomato world. Um, So he's like been a great resource for this episode. But he recommends actually flipping the plastic wrap that you have over the seeds um, every day so that it doesn't create like too damp of an environment that can set you off, uh, set you up for like damping off or other fungal issues. So I think that that's like a really great idea because then like it's staying humid in there, but by removing like that extra moisture, you're just like taking away a little bit of that like breeding ground for bacteria that gets created in there. So tomatoes do need a lot of light though, eventually. So when you see your little cotyledon or like those are your first set of leaves, then you're going to need to get them going with some light. So if you're going to be growing these entirely indoors, you need a south-facing window or a grow light if you want to get these to fruit eventually. And if you're outdoors, of course, you're going to be needing a lot of, you know, a lot of light in whatever space you choose. But once they get a few inches tall, um, you're actually going to end up like moving them into a larger pot. So, you know, you've had your tomatoes, they've gotten plenty of light. If you're starting them inside, you're going to have to go through the process of hardening off later, but you can also take them basically into the garden at this point, depending on how cold the nights are getting still. And then once the seedlings get to be a few inches tall, you're going to just like split them up into larger containers. And the cool thing about tomatoes is compared to a lot of plants, they actually like tolerate being transplanted exceptionally well. So a lot of people will plant a ton of seedlings and then split them out. You can plant like a bunch of them in a small container, even if you're planning on growing like a bunch of big plants. And then you can also give transplants as gifts to people. I actually ended up sharing some with my neighbors this year because I had more, you know, seedlings than I had space for. So, you know, it's like, it's a nice way to share the love. So you can move them at that point into like a four inch pot, right? So you had your little seedlings, then they got a few inches tall. Now you're in a four inch pot. You know, you're going to like want them to have a little bit more space, but you don't want to go into your biggest pot quite yet because, you know, again, you're trying to prevent like opportunities for bacterial issues. Um, And now when you like move them though, from this, like from their original like grow pot into this four inch pot, This is actually something that's like very special with tomatoes is you're not going to be like transplanting them at the same level. You're basically going to like plant it all the way up to the bottom of like those cotyledon, like the bottom of the two little leaves there, because like tomato plants are awesome. Anywhere on the stem that you plant underground will actually develop roots. And that's good for you because long-term that's going to make your plant sturdier. Um, But it's also just like, I think really awesome. (laughs) Um, So every day, you know, if you're going through the hardening off process at this point, you're going to be taking them outside for longer and longer periods of time until they're adjusted, just like humans, they'll get burned if you haven't like acclimated them to the sun. So when you're moving them into your garden or your final container, though, 
there are a few things that you're going to keep in mind, right? So you do want to keep a few feet between every plant. And this is to prevent the spreading of fungal diseases. I mean, you're going to hear me like harping on diseases a lot, but it's just because that's like the one of the bigger things you have to be wary of with tomatoes. Um, and these are really great candidates for mulching. So that actually helps you avoid like splashing soil up on your lower leaves, which can also like introduce bacteria to the plant. This is less of a concern if you're someone who's like planting in like containers because then your grow media usually doesn't have the mic like the bacteria microbes if you're using like new soil. But especially if you're planting in ground, make sure to mulch it. So you don't want to feed them right away when you transplant, but within a few weeks, you're going to want to start a regular feeding schedule like any food crops are going to be heavier feeders than just about anything else. And every time you water, like especially in containers, you're essentially washing away some nutrients. So you'll just want to feed them. But as far as the containers go, you know, there are a lot of options these days. But again, I'm going to say grow bags are a great option here, right? Like, you're going to need something that's at least five gallons. I have seven gallon grow bags. So I think that these are really good, affordable options. Um, they're also really easy to move, which, you know, since your plant needs eight hours a day of sun, you might need to move it throughout the day or just throughout the season. So I think grow bags have a lot of benefits. So again, they are going to need like eight hours a day of sun. So if you are like not in a south facing windowsill, if you're doing like a micro dwarf indoors, you're going to have to get a grow light. So you've got it into your container, it's growing, it's got all of this light, and now comes a weird thing about tomatoes also that is kind of specific. Um, there is this thing called suckers, right? And so there's a lot of information out there about cutting off the suckers to prevent it from like leaching nutrients from the plant. Um, but suckers are these like side shoots that grow out at about 45 degrees. But for me, I'm like... I'm personally more of like the less is more gardening style. And if Craig Wahulier doesn't remove the suckers from his plants, I won't remove mine. And he's got a background in like biology and chemistry. And he's done experiments on his own. Like he literally at one point was growing thousands of like tomato seedlings a year. And he's found that it doesn't seem to impact the plant one way or another. So I'd say save yourself a headache and focus on other stuff unless you want to remove the suckers, which are basically going to be trying to form new plants. And you can also share those with friends. So that's an option for them. So you've got these plants, they maybe have some suckers, they're getting a few inches tall, they're getting a few feet tall. Um, you're going to want to like cage these or stake these. I have like a very traditional style tomato cage. Some people trellis them, you know, so you've got it all like bound up, right? This thing's getting tall. And then, oh, it's about to set a bloom, which is real cool, right? Uh, this is where you have to remember that the tomatoes themselves don't actually need full sun to ripen. So this is actually kind of a benefit of leaving on those suckers because it could help provide additional plant shading to keep your tomatoes protected from scorching. Tomatoes will continue ripening on a counter, but if you get your tomatoes like in too much direct sun, like the fruit themselves, they can burn. So a little bit of foliage isn't necessarily the end of the world, right? 
Um, the plants themselves, though, again, are like magnets for fungal and bacterial infections. And this actually doesn't stop at just the plants. There are also things like tomato hornworms that can get into the tomato and burrow through it. So these are a plant I just think you really need to pay a lot of attention to. So when you're watering them, which, you know, can be a little bit more time intensive. Some people use drip irrigation, but I actually just go in with like a good old fashioned watering can. And that's when I take the time to check on the plants to make sure that they're doing okay. Um, Because tomatoes, you don't want to like water from above, get the foliage all wet or like water with a blast power hose because you're trying to keep the soil up off the bottom. Watering with like drip irrigation or just a regular watering can is a great idea because then you can also look for like those hornworms, things like that. Uh, I think doing like physical removal is always a great idea. So if you've got a few like, you know, you've got some baddies munching on your stuff, just have a little cup with some soap in it, knock them into it and the little buggy will drown and then you don't have to worry about pesticides. So tomatoes, again, ripen from the inside out. So you're going to want to pick them when they start to develop color, but then let them finish ripening on your counter. Now, if you've bought some special seeds Or if you have a tomato that you're obsessed with and you just want to keep it going next year, remember you can totally save seeds from your own fruit. And the easiest way to save them is through fermentation, which can remove some of the seed-borne diseases. So you're going to cut open that newly ripe tomato on your counter and you're going to squeeze the seeds and pulp into a labeled cup that's water impermeable. Um, That's really important here. So, you know, go with glass. Then you're going to eat the meat of the tomato, maybe just plain. Maybe you put it on one of the sandwiches Nick and I suggested. And then you're going to take that goop in the glass and add just a little bit of water so it swirls and then place it somewhere that the smell's not going to get to you. Uh, This is a great thing to do out on a porch. And then you're going to cover the glass with a paper towel to keep the bugs out and then just wait for a white or off-white fungal layer to develop. And once that happens, you're going to add more water to the cup until it's nearly full, stir it well, and then decant off all of those like the fungus and the non-seed solids. Your good seeds are actually going to sink to the bottom of the cup. So it's really easy to decant off the rest of it. And then take those good seeds, place them on an unglazed paper plate in a single layer, and don't forget to label it and allow them to dry for a week. And then after that, you're just going to store them in a labeled coin envelope or your container of choice until you're ready to plant them. And it's also worth noting that seeds will last for up to 10 years. If they're just kept like in the dark at room temperature, tomato seeds can last for 10 years. You can keep them for up to like 20 years in the freezer. Um, So if you don't use everything in your seed packet this season, you can absolutely save some of those for next year. And then if you want to share seeds, maybe as like, a Christmas gift with other gardeners in your family, you can definitely share because you will have, I promise, more seeds than you could ever plant. So that's a lot, I know, (laughs) but tomatoes are kind of a, they're an interesting challenge. I'm having a lot of fun. I've got some little buds finally on my tomatoes. So I think I'm going to have homegrown tomatoes soon, but let's talk about magic y'all. So As luscious and watery as tomatoes are, uh, I think no one's going to be shocked that this is a feminine plant associated with the element water, the planet Venus, and one of the sexiest signs, Libra. Um, It's great for magic related to prosperity, protection, of course, and love. 
So they do say, and by they, I mean like old folk tales say that the tomato when eaten has the power to inspire love. So if you're a kitchen witch, maybe make yourself like one of our like fave sandwiches before embarking on spell work around self-love or other love work. Maybe magically put some love into a sandwich that you make for your babe. Um, The plants in the garden are protective and folklore says that the yellow flowers and the bright red fruits can scare off evil, which is the opposite effect those colors have in McDonald's. So those are truly evil places in my experience. Um, To bring prosperity into the home, uh, there's a suggestion to place a large red tomato on your mantle and replace it every three days. But I think this could also be a really cool place for some tomato themed artwork because that's not going to necessarily mold above your fireplace. (laughs) Um, And then a a suggested spell from the Green Witch Oracle involves placing a green tomato in a green bowl, which you then shower with gold coins while saying, money rain upon us now. And then you get a green candle on either side of the bowl, light them, and let them burn out. Then you eat the tomato when it ripens. So (laughs) as a tweak on this, because to me, this one seems kind of like a lot. Uh, You could say the mantra may be over the green tomatoes that you've brought in from your garden that are ripening. And then when you eat them, repeat the mantra. I think sometimes easier like versions of spells like this uh, are often like the most effective because you can repeat them regularly as well. So, you know, no shade on going through like a big ritual, but I think most of us know that we can't do big ritual magic all the time. So sometimes I like to find ways to make things a little bit easier for the lazy among us like me or just like the busy witch. So I I used a lot of resources for today. Um, Bloom and Grow radio podcast, uh, Joe the Gardener podcast, which is really fun. Craig LaHoulier's website and also like interviews with him all over the place. Uh, Scott Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs uh, and The Green Witch Oracle by Sherilyn Darcy. You know, I actually, I did want to jump in here though and say... This is my personal experience, but all of the Libras that I personally know are big blushers. And I was actually very tickled to see that the tomato is associated with Libra. Uh, I love that. Because I'm like, oh, it's like, it's like you're a, you're a tomato. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, Nick already mentioned earlier that we both kind of have mini QWPs today. And mine is a little bit different, but I have a really strong feeling about this. Um, So my QWP today is storing tomatoes in the refrigerator. It makes them mealy, it takes away the flavor, and it generally just makes your tomatoes sad. And the ideal temperature to store them is around 55 degrees Fahrenheit, which isn't what most of our kitchens stay at. But fridges are like just above freezing to 38 degrees. So a little warmer is the lesser of two evils. The only exception here is if it's already ripe and you're trying to keep it a few extra days before it gets moldy. But that's really like only if you absolutely have to. Uh, And if you do have to do an emergency fridge situation, you also have to let the tomatoes come up to room temp again before serving if you don't want them to taste like mealy water nothingness. Uh, So please just don't treat your delicious tomatoes so poorly. Like... You can always just eat them before they get to the point of mold concerns. So I don't know. Just like don't fucking put your tomatoes in the fridge. Ugh. Wow. Strong, strong feelings. Strong feelings. I know. Uh, but I mean, you're, you're, you're not wrong. You're, you're absolutely not wrong. I just feel like if you're going to spend the money on a good tomato, it's like wasting your own money. Or if, God forbid, if you grow them at home and then do that. Like, oi, no. 
So moving on from that horrible, like, chi- like spine-chilling discussion of refrigerated tomatoes, um, we're talking about Apollo. So, like, it's summertime. It feels really appropriate to cover the Greek god of the sun and light. And Apollo is arguably the most loved of all the Greek gods, and he was worshipped at Delphi and Delos, which are pretty much the most famous of all Greek religious sanctuaries. Uh, Also, Know Thyself is attributed to him, and that's why it's one of the three inscriptions above the entrance to his temple at Delphi. Uh, The other inscription is Nothing in Excess, which Apollo once said includes moderation, so you don't want to restrict too much. Apollo is a fun one. Uh, And in addition to sun and light, he's also known as the god of music and poetry, healing and plagues, prophecy and knowledge, order and beauty, archery and agriculture. You know, a few things. Uh, And he's also seen as the ideal hot bod. He's the perfect example of the koros, which is the modern term used to describe that like athletic young male body that we see used as like that ideal in the classic Greek and Greco-Roman sculpture that we're all familiar with if you've like ever been to a museum ever. So, you know, he's the hot bod god. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) He's also incredibly like complex and multifaceted and uh, you don't, I really think it's like with all of the Greek gods to choose from, like you don't become the national Greek divinity by being a basic bitch. And he shows up in art essentially as much as Zeus. And he's one of the only major gods to go by the same name in both Greek and Roman legends. Fascinating. And I also love that I ended up reading in several places that Apollo is known as the most Greek of all the Greek gods. He's just doing the most all the time wow see so Uh, greek dude like (laughs) so greek so hot uh (laughs) so how did our sweet apollo come to be he is the son of old zeusy boy and leto uh leto was the daughter of the titans uh coas and phoebe and apollo is also the twin brother to a wands and fawns favorite artemis so zeus zeus it up like he does and was sleeping around on hera of course and so our dear leto gets knocked up and she tries to like hide away from hera in case she decides to like take out her revenge on one of zeus's many side pieces and leto thinks where will my kids be the safest and of course she thought i should take them to delos that place is barren as shit so surely no one will think to come find us there So then she has the twins, Artemis and Apollo, and they're just like normal babies until Apollo has his first taste of ambrosia and just immediately turns into a grown ass man. So he got to skip the awkward teen years, which is a big old plus, Uh, but he was generally a really good kid and he never tried to overthrow Zeus, which as a reminder, Zeus totally overthrew his own father. So Apollo would have had every right, but he didn't. However, They did get into a particularly nasty fight one time when Zeus killed uh, Asclepius for resurrecting a mortal. So in response to Zeus killing him, Apollo killed the Cyclops that made Zeus's thunderbolts, which is like, how delightfully petty is that? Right. It's like, oh, well, good luck killing anyone else. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, of course, like Zeusy boy was like kind of being a baby. And so Apollo had to serve out a punishment tending to the king's sheep for a year. But I'd say, honestly, it's like worth it to have killed the Cyclops that makes daddy's thunderbolts. Anyway, uh, he, of course, got his lyre after little Hermes stole his cattle, which Nick delightfully talks about in the Hermes episode. Um, Apollo basically like let him keep the cattle that he stole in exchange for the lyre. And honestly, I think Hermes probably got the better end of that deal. An entire herd of fucking cattle. But, you know, Apollo ended up with a lyre. 
but I told you guys he's complex and that definitely means he has like a less sunny side. And it's interesting to me that when we're looking at the stories about it, he seems to get up to his plaguing and like retribution dealing most often when he's with his twin sister. So it's like twin despair powers activate. Um, (laughs) In the Iliad though, we meet a young noble woman, Niobe, who had six sons and six daughters. And Niobe's all like, oh yeah, my womb's the best womb. Look at how like fertile I am. I'm so good at having kids. I'm even superior to the Titan Leto, who only had two children. And the two children that Leto had, as we know, were Apollo and Artemis. So as a punishment for her pride, Apollo killed all of Niobe's sons and Artemis killed all of her daughters. Well, I mean, you know, you talk shit, you get hit. Right. I just like, damn. Uh, we also touched on the uh, the satyr uh, Marcius when we covered the muses, but he claimed that he was more musically gifted than the god, which of course led to an ancient Greek American idol competition. Uh, the muses ruled that Apollo was indeed the better musician. And then Apollo, being such a gracious winner, had the mortal flayed alive for his presumption and nailed his skin to a pine tree. Uh, Apollo was also like super clutch in the Trojan War, NBD. He brought plague to the Achaeans, uh, led the entire Trojan army holding Zeus's like Aegis, his like fearsome Aegis in his hand and attack, um, which during that, you know, during that uh, they destroyed the entire defensive walls of the Greek camps. NBD. And he was also responsible for guiding Paris's arrow to the heel of Achilles, which, you know, led to the death of what was up till that point, a seemingly invincible Greek hero. So, you know, he's got a bit of war prowess too. Uh, He's like, he's just all over the place. And his, there's, there's so much that he gets up to during the whole Trojan war that I feel like we could make that its own episode, but we're not going to. So if you're a creative witch, though, I mean, I think Apollo is like a really great deity to work with in general, right? Like, I've already mentioned that he's associated with a laundry list of things. But and as of all the deities we've covered, I really have seen him like referred to or used as a patron deity more than pretty much anyone else, which makes a lot of sense given his wide reaching influences. And he has this, of course, association with divination. So he's a great god to call on when you're doing any type of psychic work. And we always have to talk about sleep sachets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, (laughs) I saw a really great recommendation to pray to Apollo before bed if you're doing any work to, like, bring on prophetic dreams. So perhaps you could add a small, like, handwritten prayer to Apollo in, like, a divinatory sleep sachet. But I already mentioned, like, I think he's really great for creative witches, just like given all of his like very, you know, artistic endeavors. But if you're doing any magic related to music or performance, I think he's a great choice. And with his association with retribution, I think he could also be a good choice if you're doing like hex breaking work. Like in particular, I'm thinking about like invoking him if you're working on a mirror spell where you're just reflecting someone else's energies back at them, which just for what it's worth is the only way I typically do this type of work because I think that bouncing stuff back at people is fair game. If you are worried that someone is sending you like hexes or like negative energies, I feel like the mirror is fair game. People might have differing opinions on that. Well, I mean, it's like, it's like I'm rubber. You are glue. 
don't, you know, talk, talk shit, get hit. <laughs> exactly. Talk shit, get hit. It's just like, you know, I'm not about personally, I don't do a lot of like hexing and cursing by a lot. I mean, like any. So you're, in my so you're not a TikTok witch. I'm not a witch talker, uh, but I, I do. Again, I feel like the mirror is like fair game because then if they're not actually doing it and it's you being crazy, nothing's going to happen to them because you're just bouncing their own energies back at them. So if they're actually not doing anything, there's no danger of them getting like wallowed. Oh, right. Um, of course, with his healing powers and his associations with love, I think he's like clutch for healing bath and like self-love rituals. I love healing baths. So like- just bonus points anytime you're taking a bath. I literally took a bath right before we recorded. It was so nice. Um, and on the beauty note, if you're making a body oil or any type of like beauty spell preparation, like maybe ask Apollo to bless it. And he is, I mentioned, associated with architecture. So it could be like also a cool piece of protection work to maybe ask Apollo to bless like your physical home. And I I had this idea and I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with it now. The idea of like creating like a mini outdoor altar to him that could be mounted on a column, like on the backside of a column closest to your home. I just feel like that would be so cool. Or even just like a small, like little inscription, like thanking Apollo for keeping your home safe. I just love the idea of putting it on a column because of that like Greco-Roman connection. So yeah, so these are just a few ideas, but honestly, like it could go on forever. Me just talking about all the different ways you could ask Apollo to like help in your magic because he's associated with basically everything interesting in this world. So I have to stop somewhere. Uh, today, my sources were Britannica.com, WorldHistory.com, and GreekMythology.com. Well, and also, you know, it's like, I will say... I think, uh, you know, just like my two cents on the whole, like, trading a herd of cattle for a single lira uh, is, you know, it's like the music was more valuable to him because it was the only lira in existence at the time. I mean, that's fair. But Hermes still got an entire herd of cattle. That's, but what is a baby going to do with a herd of cattle? That's always the question. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Hermes had plans. Um, yeah, well, yeah, that's, tr- right. that's true. That's true. <laughs> no, but I, it's a fair point. I just, I think Apollo is one of those deities where there's just so much about him. So, you know, I could, I could have gone on forever, but I just wanted to give a few of, I felt like the highlight reel yeah, the, of the, the stories the about reel. him. Uh-huh. No, cause, he, cause he really, he really is fucking everywhere. <laughs> yeah. He's everywhere. It's like, if y'all wanted me to go through everything about Apollo, um, we would have a seven hour deity profile. Yeah, yeah it's like which, it's like thanks for coming to our TED talk about Apollo. Right, our Apollo TED talk. Um, but yeah, so that's it. I'm Nick, I'm so excited for the Terroscope this week. Oh my god, as you should be, because uh, <laughs> you know, like spoiler alert, uh, it is for Virgo. Um <laughs> so I I you know, and actually, you know, just to kind of like preface this one, when I am doing the Terroscope. And when I get, like, Virgo, especially, it's like, I always am thinking of Shannon and my roommate. Like, I I have so many Virgos just, like, in and around my life. Um, <laughs> You're surrounded. I really am. And I'm a Virgo rising. So, you know, maybe this is a little bit for me, too. Like attracts like. It's true. I drew this week the Ten of Swords reversed for all of the Virgos out there. And so for those of you out there who uh, do not use like a traditional tarot deck. I certainly don't, so do not worry about it. But in the 
classic, like with the Rider Waite tarot. Uh, the imagery on this card features a man face down with ten swords lodged in his back. So some very grim energy uh, and some very shocking images. But thankfully for you guys, this is the reversed ten of swords. Thank God. Thank God, right? <laughs> so um, not exactly a bed of roses, though. So, But not so bad as if it was the other way around. So you, I feel like maybe you guys dodged a bullet there. Uh, yeah, I've heard some people say you can think about when you see the swords piercing someone on the right or weight. When it's reversed, you can think about the swords like falling out. Yeah, I was I was going to say, yeah, I uh, the swords falling out, but you got to let them fall out. So this. Yeah, and it still hurts. And it still hurts. <laughs> uh, but this card also would kind of indicate that you guys are maybe holding out against a change in your life that is, in fact, inevitable. Uh, so either you have been in this situation before and you did not like how it turned out or you haven't and you're scared, which is like not an easy thing for a Virgo to admit. Um, so because I've never been scared a day in my life. That's true. That's true. I can confirm that. Um, <laughs> but no. So my advice to you Virgo guys out there with this Ten of Swords reverse energy hanging over your heads is to sort of channel the quiet earthy dignity of your Virgo-ness and like don't make the universe drag you kicking and screaming into this next phase because it is simply not a good look. Can I just uh, okay like this is one of those times when I when I saw when I logged on what you had fucking drawn I was just like you gotta be kidding me. This is so rude. I literally just posted, I think like yesterday, right? That I keep getting fucking judgment. Like, and I texted Nick about this too. And so for that to be the card that has been kind of stalking me and then to have you get this card, ugh, it just feels very pointed. <laughs> it's, it's like, they're coming for you, Shannon. The universe is like, bitch, something's gonna change. <laughs> right. Uh, so something, something is gonna change. Uh, and you gotta let it. Uh, so that's, that's really the message for all the Virgos out there, not just Shannon. Um, yeah, yeah. and that's the bitter end y'all that, you know, it it, this was, this was kind of a short and sweet one this week, but I, I really think this was like a fun summary episode. Yeah. And I tried really hard to like keep tomatoes high level. Cause I feel like tomatoes could like, there are people like Craig Lahulier literally like his second career has just been all about tomatoes. Like there's so much about them. So if you have any questions, let me know. I've gotten like, obviously in the weeds on tomato research. I just didn't want to like put it all in this podcast episode. So if you listen and you have follow-ups, hit me up because chances are I probably have an answer at this point because I shit you not, I have spent hours and hours and hours like reading and listening to podcasts about the humble tomato at this point. <laughs> and you know, I, I think this would actually also be a good, uh, a good kind of time to mention that me and Shannon are both actually pretty big foodies. So if any of you guys yeah. out there who listen ever want to like talk about recipes, like, Oh hell yeah. Uh, this is your invitation. Yeah. For our like 4th of July gathering with our friends that live in our neighborhood, I definitely made tiramisu that it was great because I actually made lady fingers from scratch, which was really fun. Uh, and then I made like my favorite coconut cream pie, but all that to say, we are both huge foodies and 
Nick is now a professional food e chef. Yeah, yeah right? I'm gonna be like a like a like a chef guy. So yeah, uh... congratulations <laughs> to Nick's like new job, guys. Like, just I know we I, we had mentioned it right that you were looking at an opportunity, or had we not? I, well, I think. Gosh, you know, I think last time we recorded was like right before I d- even did the interview. So yeah, this wasn't even a thing until like Wednesday. Uh, oh my god! Okay, well, all that to say, y'all, like. This is really exciting. So lots of like congratulations to Nick because this is such a fucking cool job. And now he's going to get to like cook food with love for people every day professionally. So anyway, very happy for you. But, it's su- it's like super exciting. But yeah. I, and you know, I just kind of circling back around though, if you do want to send us a recipe uh, at once and Franz pod at gmail.com at once and Franz pod on Instagram. Hell yes. We'd love to hear from you guys. And we have had a handful of people put in ratings on iTunes, but if you have time, it would be really great if some of you guys could go and write reviews on iTunes. I know not everybody uses it to listen to their podcast, but it's one of the easiest places actually for people to find comments. So even if you have an iPhone, but you don't listen to your podcast through the Apple podcast app, it would be really awesome if you would still go into it and like write a review for us and give us a rating. Um, Also, of course, if you like listen to us on anything else, please like follow, like subscribe, you know, tell your friends about us. We're always like happy to have new listeners too. So, you know, if you make any recommendations to people, also tell them like, we're happy to like communicate with them if they have like follow-up questions. Like, yeah, we're, we're your we're, friendly neighborhood podcast. Yeah, we're witches. yeah we're we're out here. We're we're available. Uh, so <laughs> we are re- ready and available. Ready and available. But I think I think this is where we just have to say goodbye to you guys. So I think to all of the you know tomatoey summer bitches out there. <laughs> Blessed be summer bitches. Blessed be summer bitches. <laughs> goodbye. Later, y'all. I'm rubber. You are glue. Talk shit, get hit.